0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers have an enormous, obvious, incredible need at safety. It might be the weakest position on the entire roster with the possible exception of tight end. Is there anybody in this year's draft that can fix things? Blue 58. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host John Meerdink happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got safeties on tap for you today, but first we've got some news from Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, who were speaking at the NFL owners meetings this week, and they had quite a bit to say. Somebody asked Brian Gutekunst, uh, well, a bunch of people asked Brian Gutekunst, a bunch of different questions, and I wanted to make sure that we could give you his words as he said them, rather than just reading off quotes, because I think hearing the tone here is important. Got this audio from Packers.com, and I'm telling you that up front because I just want to let you know that you are going to hear a weird whooshing, clanging sound in a couple of these uh, audio clips because that is how Packers.com likes to announce to the people who are watching it the person who is speaking. Despite the fact that you've clicked on a video with Brian Gutekunst's name in it, they need to have a dramatic whoosh and clang sound to introduce a title onto the screen telling you that Brian Gutekunst is, in fact, talking. So that's what you're going to hear a couple times in here. Brian Gutekunst talking, Packers.com whooshing and clanging, hopefully some insight about your favorite football team uh, somewhere between those two things. So the first question out of the gate is basically, catch us up to speed, Brian. What's been going on over the past couple of months? Have you heard what, what Aaron Rodgers has been saying about you? How did we get to this point? And here's what Mr. Gutekunst had to say.
1: Yeah, I didn't really take his comments like that, and it's certainly not true. I mean, I think, you know, as we got out of the offseason or after the season, and we we had a good conversation, um, and then, you know, we're going to have some follow-up conversations, and our inability to reach in or for him to respond in any way, I think at that point, then we just kind of had to, I had to do my job and kind of reach out, and understanding that a trade could be possible uh, and see who was interested, but that shopping was never really part of that.
0: He's specifically referring to someone asking about Aaron Rodgers going on Pat McAfee show and saying, "Look, we had some conversations. We had more conversations than I wanted in my darkness retreat, and I came out and I found that I'd been, you know, in trade talks this whole time, or they, they are now in trade talks." Gutkin's kind of debunks that, and I think plenty of people have done work debunking that as well. That does not drive with what Rodgers said prior to his retreat. And is saying, look, we we talked and we tried to get in touch with him, but we couldn't. And that is something that came up again and again and again. Gutekunst saying some version of we tried to get in touch with him and we couldn't. It's not clear exactly what that means. They were never really able to nail down exactly what it means that you were trying to get in touch with him. Were you talking to his agent? Were you calling him directly? I mean, Adam Schefter's got his phone number. You probably have his phone number. What were those conversations like? He never really... Uh, elaborated on what it was like to try to get in touch with Aaron Rodgers, but at some point they decided that that was the direction they needed to go, moving on from Aaron Rodgers. And then, of course, Rodgers takes his thoughts to the media. And I thought it it was an interesting question. I believe it was Ryan Wood of PackersNews.com, the Green Bay Press-Gazette, who asked him, you know, what's it like to have that stuff go out in the media, and Gutekunst, I thought, had a pretty good answer on that.
1: Yeah, certainly, you know, whenever a player may have, um, you know, issues, you prefer that they, they talk to you directly, you know, and not you know, do it in the media, um, but that's not uh, necessarily the way he goes about it, and that's that's okay, um, but um, yeah, it's those things aren't of our concern, you know.
0: Handled that pretty well, I think. You just say, hey, I wish that he wouldn't do it, but that's how Aaron does things, and I guess that's a way of respecting what somebody's doing while also saying that, you know, I I wish he would just talk to me. But uh, again, that's not really how Aaron Rodgers does things. And then we get to the end here and somebody asked the insightful question, how does it feel to be the guy who's going to end up trading Aaron Rodgers? It gets a little wishy-washy here. But again, I think a strong answer worth sharing.
1: Yeah, you know, I went through it last year with Devonte. You know, I mean, that's just when you, when you have great players that have done so much for your organization. It's um, that's a it's a little bit bittersweet. Um, at the same time, um, you know, we're all this was gonna. I mean, at some point, you know, Aaron was not gonna be our quarterback, and it's just that, that's that's life in the National Football League. Um, so yeah, there'll be a, I'm sure there'll be a pause in a the, in the moment, um, but at the same time. You know, as a football team, I think uh, we're excited for, for what the future brings, and we're just going to keep moving forward.
0: Some good perspective there from Gudakunst. One small fact check, like, it didn't have to be exactly like this. Things could have gone a different direction. It didn't have to end up where you're the guy who's going to end up trading Aaron Rodgers, but you are, and that is going to be part of his legacy. And I, I get the backlash sometimes to the drama between Gudakunst and Aaron Rodgers and wishing that it wasn't there, wishing you didn't have to talk about it. But a big reason that I keep coming back to stuff like this, you know, the he said, he said on on Rodgers and Gutekunst is that this is now part of Brian Gutekunst's story and Aaron Rodgers. We can talk about that in a second. But this is this is part of what his legacy in Green Bay is going to be. It may end up being a really great one. I think it worked out about as well as it possibly could for Ted Thompson. But this is part of the Brian Gutekunst story now. His tenure in Green Bay. It's probably going to be defined by how he handled things from the end of the 2019 season to the time when he signed Aaron Rodgers to that extension last offseason and then what he did as a result of that. That's really probably going to define all of Brian Gutekunst's time as a general manager in the National Football League. What happens as a result of those decisions is pretty much it for him. That is how things are going to go. And yeah, he can say, like, there was going to be a time when Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to be our quarterback anymore and have that be true, but it didn't necessarily have to work out this way. And the fact that it did work out this way is something that ties himself to, um, well, ties that to his legacy. And on the legacy question, I think, you know, before we go too far down that road, because things are going to change between Rodgers and the Packers, Rodgers, as even um, Mark Murphy said, is going to come back to the fold sometime. He is always going to be remembered as a member of the Green Bay Packers. No matter what Brett Favre did before he arrived in Green Bay and after he left Green Bay, his career in the National Football League is defined by what he did with the Green Bay Packers. But it's also not the only thing that's in his NFL career. The exit from Green Bay for Brett Favre is part of that story. The time that he spent in New York and all that went on there, is part of his story. His time with the Minnesota Vikings is part of that story, and how things ended with the Vikings is part of that story too. You can't just say, you know, we're all going to put this in the past someday. That's not how this works, and it's not how it's going to work with Rodgers either. The the acrimonious divorce from the Green Bay Packers is part of Aaron Rodgers' story. The fact that it does end that way for most players— doesn't change the fact that this is how it's ending for Rogers. This is part of his story and that is going to be part of the historical context as you look at his career in Green Bay. I think when people want to say, oh, you, know, you know, we're going to let bygones be bygones at some point, that is also true. You can look past things like that, but that doesn't mean that they didn't happen. One other thing that I I wanted to mention from Gutekunst remarks here, and shout out to the Packers wire. I'm not sure who had it there. It may have been Zach Cruz. It may have been somebody else. Uh, But Brian Gutekunst did give one little remark on Mason Crosby. And it's a little bit different than things have been in the past. Here's what he had to say.
1: Yeah, we would never close the door, especially on uh, any of that. We'll kind of see where that goes. Um, You know, Mason, the all time leading scorer in this franchise's history, uh, did some really, you know, really good things, had a good year this past year. So, um, again, we're limited a little bit um, uh, financially, but uh, uh, would never say never.
0: Now, at the Combine, I believe it was at the Combine, may even have been prior to Combine, but at the Combine, We're just going on that reference point. He spoke about Mason Crosby as though he was definitely going to be back in Green Bay back next year. Like he's going to, he had this procedure. You're going to see him fully healthy. You're going to see a stronger leg for Mason Crosby next year. This seems to be a small shift from that. I wouldn't want to say anything is definitive. I just think it's noteworthy that things are at least slightly different from what they were before. Now, Matt LaFleur also spoke this week. Didn't want to pull any of his audio uh, because it really is not all that different from what Brian Gutekunst said. If Gutekunst is forthcoming, I would say that Lafleur just plays the good soldier. He says nice things about Aaron Rodgers. He says he wants the best things for the Green Bay Packers. And he's just there to you know say, we want good things for Rodgers. We're a really big fan of what he's done in Green Bay. We're excited about Jordan Love. And that's really all you ever get out of him. So I don't really want to talk about that all that much. However, he did drop a couple nuggets on Eric Stokes, who may be a player that you haven't really thought about in a while because he hasn't been a relevant part of the Packers' picture here for a while either. He had a serious leg injury, ankle injury uh, in Week 9 against the Detroit Lions, and that was really it for him in his second year in the NFL. Not that it was going particularly well to that point. But speaking at the owners' meetings this week... Matt LaFleur said a couple of things that may pertain to Stokes' future. First and foremost, that it may he may not be ready for the start of the regular season, which is a big deal. Heading into year three, if he's going to be missing all of the offseason stuff, all of OTAs, all of everything leading up to training camp, all of training camp itself, and may not be ready to go at the start of the regular season— that puts a pretty big damper on year three here, especially since the Packers, what are they going to have to do next spring? Start thinking about his fifth-year option. That's going to be a big problem, and I think if this year goes anything like last year, the answer is going to be no, but this year is going to be apparently, at least as of right now here in March, affected by an injury that happened the middle of last season. The second thing that happened is that—and uh, this is probably tied to his availability, availability at the start of the season— is that Matt LaFleur says that he envisions Keyshawn Nixon playing a bigger role in the slot this year. Now do the math on that. He says he wants Keyshawn Nixon in the slot because he thinks Rasul Douglas's best spot is at outside corner. I would probably agree with that, even though according to the numbers that we ran and the study that we did earlier this offseason— uh, Douglas did plenty good on the inside as well as on the outside. It really was just a matchup-based thing where he performed. He, he did. He was capable as a as an inside corner too, and actually had some pretty great numbers in terms of run support playing uh, as a slot corner as well. It it just is not always a great matchup for him, but that seems to be the book on Douglas inside or outside. But I still think outside is probably a better position for him. But if you do the math there. If Keyshawn Nixon is playing in the slot and Rasul Douglas is at one outside corner spot and Jair Alexander is at the other one, where does that leave Eric Stokes? Well, you say if he's not going to be healthy, well, it doesn't really matter. But say he is healthy. Where is his role in the secondary right now? If that's the configuration that Matt LaFleur wants and thinks is best for the defense, where do you put Eric Stokes? Because it doesn't sound like they are in a rush to get Rasul Douglas snaps at safety. That's been floated by me and other people uh, much smarter than me around Packers internet. If you're not going to play him at safety, leaving him at corner is really the only option. What do you do with Eric Stokes? That's a not a great place to be heading into year three injured and without a role, especially if the Packers aren't moving Rasul Douglas to safety, which is in a really bad way, which gives us a uh, good segue into the position group I wanted to talk about as far as the NFL draft this time around. Safety. We're going to do our safety discussion a little bit differently than we've done the past positions um, so far in our pre-draft process here. I mentioned some dissatisfaction with how we're looking at the NFL draft as we did our linebacker stuff. Uh, Basically, as it boils down to finding the good players in the draft. I don't know if anything that we do is really going to be all that different than just looking at some sort of consensus opinion on who the good players are and then trying to tease out some interesting details about those players. I don't think we're going to really uncover guys that are outside the scope of collective knowledge. It's like trying to beat... It's like trying to pick stocks that are going to outperform like an indexed fund or something like that. You know, Over a long term, picking things that just rely on the overall strength of the economy, investing there, is going to bring you a better return, a more consistent return, than trying to pick individual winners. And I think that's a lot of – I think that's very similar to how we have to view things as people who talk about the NFL draft – Trying to reinvent the wheel and pick guys that are going to be winners, you know, with your own methodology is one way to go about things. But you've got a bunch of people analyzing this draft. Try to pull as much of that wisdom as you can, which has led me to the mock draft database. The mock draft database uh, pulls or analyzes thousands of mock drafts and comes up with a consensus big board. At every position and all positions as well, so I would like to incorporate that kind of ranking into our methodology, looking at positions going forward. What I've done is I've taken every safety mentioned in the mock draft database, which if you can just Google mock draft database, you'll get there, and we're just going to talk through them as they are ranked. We're going to use some of the numbers that we have talked about in the past, you know, athleticism, coverage grade from Pro Football Focus ball hawks and things like that, uh, but try to talk about them in more of a way that seems to reflect the broader consensus of where these guys stack up, rather than talking about them as they would be ranked by some of the metrics that we use. There's another reason that I want to do that for safety, because if you look at the safety class, a big, well, the the main thing that we use to sort our players is athleticism. And of the 14 players that are ranked somewhere in the top 200 in the mock draft database, at the safety position, only four guys would have tested well enough athletically to even make it into our discussion. Only four guys have posted a relative athletic score of eight or better in the top 200. And I picked the top 200 because that takes you through like the middle of the sixth round or so. The 200th pick is roughly the middle of the sixth round. Beyond that, I figure you're just, it's just flyers anyway. You're not finding guys that are really going to be big contributors. It's just lottery tickets, basically. And the Packers do have a lot of lottery tickets late, but we're not, you know, uncovering a whole bunch of guys in those late rounds that are really going to become, you know, high level NFL players. So we're going to talk about guys that show up in the top 100 of the consensus mock draft at some length, and then I'll give you the best of the rest. The rest of the way. So what does that give us to work with? Well, we've got eight players at the safety position who show up in the top 100, and then we've got another six that are somewhere between 100 and 200. The top consensus safety in the mock draft this year, in mock drafts this year, is Brian Branch out of Alabama. He's 5'11", 190 pounds, posted a relative athletic score of 5.05. A true junior, has been a successful player at Alabama for quite some time, and it is an interesting guy to start a discussion with because there really isn't another safety quite like him in this draft class, and you'll see why here in a second. The numbers that we use to talk about safety uh, are, have been pretty consistent year to year. We talk about relative athletics score. We'll mention that here. We talk about coverage grade from pro football focus. I like to pull their last year of college football, their coverage grade, because I think that is the truest expression of who they are as a player. You've culminated in your career. What did you do? Your last season in college football. How well did you play in your kind of crowning year as a college football player? Uh, ball hawks as well. Uh, your plays on the ball: sacks, interceptions, passes defensed, fumbles forced. So Brian Branch, looking at those numbers, falls short right out of the gate. Out at um, in athleticism. His relative athletic score is bad. 505 is not a good number for a safety. But coverage grade is an 86.4. Pretty solid. Second highest among safeties in our top 200 pool. I like that he played at a pretty high level for a high-level program for a fairly long time. Still on the younger side as a true junior, so he's got, you'd think, some runway ahead of him. There are some things to like here about, about Mr. Branch. However, there are safeties... And then there are safeties. Not everybody with the safety designation is the same kind of player. And I mean the same kind of player, not in terms of quality. I just mean what they do on the field. If you look at Pro Football Focus's alignment numbers, you can get a pretty good idea of what we're talking about here. They track four different positions in the secondary. You've got free safeties, you know, true deep safeties. You've got safeties who line up in the box, you know, around where linebackers hang out, maybe a little bit deeper. You'd probably call that a strong safety. You've got guys that play in the slot, and then you've got wide corners. I looked at all of the alignment numbers for all of the players in our top 200 here. Brian Branch, among all of those guys, among the 14 safeties we've got to look at, plays actual safety the least of anybody. So he's the consensus top safety. He's not really a safety at all. Where does he line up most of the time? Well, almost on almost three quarters of the time, he is in the slot. Seventy four point oh nine percent of his defensive snaps in his last year in college came in the slot. He's more like Keyshawn Nixon than he is like I was going to pull like a good example of a Packers safety, but I don't really have a great example of a a, a good deep safety. He's more, he's more, well, I guess put it this way. He's more 2022 Darnell Savage than he was 2020 Darnell Savage. He's playing close to the line of scrimmage in the slot, not deep. Only 3% of his snaps came deep and the Packers do not have a need for another slot guy. They need some guy who's going to play either cover one or cover two type stuff also got some concerns about his athleticism. He just doesn't move all that well. Finally, he came off the field a lot. Alabama has another noteworthy safety in this draft class, Jordan Battle. He played about 150 fewer snaps than Battle did. So we can only ask, why was he coming off the field so much? The consensus top safety in the draft had a smaller role in his own defense than a much lower rated safety. That is a red flag for me, even without looking into his film at all. Next safety on the consensus board is Antonio Johnson. Branch, it should be noted, is the nineteenth overall player on the consensus draft board. Antonio Johnson out of Texas AM AM is number 44, 6'1 and 78, 196 pounds, 525 relative athletic score. He too is a true junior. Been a starter for the last two years. He appeared in seven games with one start as a true freshman, and his role only increased from there. He comes from a diverse background in terms of football. Played both way in high school, appearing as a receiver on offense. He had a 79.7 coverage grade in his final year in college, fifth among our safeties in the top 200. I, he's not an overwhelming athlete, but I would say he has good enough physical tools. A 4.52 in the 40-yard dash can get it done. It's not ideal you can probably live with that. He, like Branch, is more of a box or slot type safety. I think you'd probably call him a slot safety. 48% of his snaps came in the slot. Another 22% came in the box. So if you're hoping for the Packers to take a safety here in the, in the draft, we're in trouble here right out of the gate because the top two guys in the consensus charts are not guys that are really going to fit with what the Packers are going to do. It's also worth noting that Johnson didn't make a whole ton of plays on the ball. He just has 14 career ball hawks, which, if you're just looking at the overall class, puts him near the bottom among guys uh, in the top 200. In fact, uh, outside of Rashad Torrance, who only played one year at Florida, uh, in terms of big-time college football, he is last in the class. He's 13th out of 13 guys with meaningful numbers uh, (laughs) to consider here. 14 is just not all that much, especially considering how long he was in a sizable role at Texas A&M. Third guy out of the gate here is somebody I would probably be the most excited to see in Green Bay with one small caveat to his game. And that is not a play on words, but you'll see why uh, we have to put a small asterisk next to the word small here in a second. Sidney Brown out of Illinois is 70th on the overall consensus draft chart. He is the third highest rated safety High does not describe a whole lot of Sidney Brown because he's just 5'9 half. He was listed at 6 feet tall at Illinois. Not quite there. Does weigh 211 pounds, though, and he's a good athlete, a 9.65 relative athletic score. He is Canadian. His dad played in the Canadian Football League as well as the Canadian Junior Football League. And get ready for this name. The team that dad played for, Sidney Brown's dad, was the London Beef Eaters of the Canadian Junior Football League file that one in your memory banks. He was an elite track athlete in high school. He finally garnered some late success in college, despite starting for a long time at Illinois, a bunch of All-America and All-Conference awards uh, from different publications. His final year at Illinois, a solid, solid player there. Coverage grade first in the class, 89.4 his final year at Illinois. Very good stuff. Long-time successful player. Started 10 games as a true freshman. Has never had a smaller role than that. He is always around the ball. 32 career ball hawks, Second in the top 200. Right behind fellow Illinois teammate Jartavius Martin, who had 33. We'll talk about here, him here in a little bit. If there are some misgivings, if there are some, if I can give you one more pun, if there are some shortcomings to Sidney Brown, well, just take a guess. Yeah, he's small. He's five, nine and a half. That's Small for a defensive back, it's probably going to be too small for the Packers, which is a bit frustrating for me because I think we're getting to the point where just looking at a guy and saying, "Well, he's probably too small," might just be overthinking a little it a little bit. If you want to have a real misgiving about Sidney Brown, you do the same thing you do with Brian Branch: is he really even that much of a safety? More than half of his career snaps came in the slot; just seventeen percent of his. Uh, well, his not his career snaps. His uh, his final year snaps came in the slot. Just seventeen percent came at true safety, which is more than Branch. To be fair, it's still not all that much in terms of a sizable safety role. Not upon uh, just just word choice there. We do return to Alabama uh, the next time around uh, with our next safety here, seventy-two on the overall consensus mock draft chart, Jordan Battle. Out of Alabama, six one two zero nine five seven five relative athletic score. Very decorated college player, uh, very very good career. All SEC in both twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Highly touted player coming out. Consensus four star recruit. Two sport athlete in high school. Also had offers from Miami, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. One of those players who could just you know write his own ticket wherever he wanted to go. Eighty five point two coverage grade, fourth best in the class. Long term success at a good school good size. His measurables actually, which is pretty rare for a lot of guys coming out of college, line up with what he was at in the program at his college, which is, you you get some home cooking sometime. But um, he's right there. He's got all the size he's reported to have. Like Johnson before out of Texas A&M, he too did not make all that many plays on the ball, just 17 career ball hawks. I wonder if that's like we've talked about with Georgia over the past couple years. Georgia prospects tend to have fewer counting stats just because of the amount of talent on their defense. I wonder if there's a similar adjustment at play here uh, for battle. You have to at least ask. Like his teammate who's coming off the field a whole bunch, you have to ask why battle didn't make all that many plays on the ball. Sticking in the SEC, Chris smith now, Christopher Smith, the second out of Georgia, excuse me, is the 73rd overall prospect in the consensus mock draft database, 5'10 and a half, 192 pounds, a relative athletic score of just 2.75. Just wrapped up his fifth year at Georgia. He was a cornerback prospect before switching to safety after arriving at Georgia. A 70.6 coverage grade puts him just above the threshold we look for, try to draw the line at 70 there. Want you to do better than that. That grade puts him 10th out of the 14 safeties in our pool. I would say I'm just completely out on Chris Smith. I'm not saying that he couldn't be a good pro, but he's not big, he's not fast, he hasn't done much in college even accounting for Georgia's defensive talent. There's just not a lot going on here with him as a prospect. You can't even It's not that he's bad at anything, it's just that he isn't really he doesn't stand out in anything either. And you I have a hard time projecting what he could be in the NFL just based on some of those traits. Jamie Robinson out of Florida State is our next prospect here. Uh, he is 5'10 half, 191 pounds, a relative athletic score of 5.95. He started his career at South Carolina, played there two years, then played two more years at Florida State. As a high school player, he was Florida's State Defensive Player of the Year as a senior when his team won the state title. A prolific final season as a high school athlete more than 100 tackles, and scored touchdowns on punt, kickoff, and interception returns that year. 78 for a coverage rate his final year in college. Not elite, but not too bad either. Sixth highest in the top 200. He's got a well-rounded game on paper. Small, but not too small. Good in coverage. Gets his hands on the ball. Again, just a really well-rounded performance uh, according to our numbers. Uh, his overall ballhawk numbers are strong, 27, a lot of contributions across the board, 16 passes defensed, three fumbles forced, a couple of interceptions for good measure. Solid, solid career. The testing f- is not great. Uh, ran pretty well. Not great, but pretty well. The jumping and explosion numbers bad. Didn't do any of the agility tra- testing. Most of his testing stuff gets dragged down because he is on the smaller side. Now, 5'10.5 probably doesn't rule him out for the Packers, but it puts him right there on the borderline. You wouldn't want to be really any smaller than that and have any confidence that the Packers would be interested at all. That hurts him in the overall athletic score numbers because you want, if you're going to have athletes, you'd prefer they be big rather than small. That's understandable, I think. So, Robinson, I think a... Probably a better prospect than Chris Smith. I think Smith is probably getting a bit of a boost because he played at Georgia. Robinson gets maybe dragged down a little bit because he was at at Florida State. If you switched him around, I don't think you'd be that far off um, in terms of where they should shake out in the NFL draft. J.L. Skinner out of Boise State is 88th on the overall consensus mock draft chart. He's an interesting prospect. He is nearly six foot four inches tall. 209 pounds, and we have no testing data on him yet. If you look at his overall career arc, to me, he reads like a guy who's always been a good to very good athlete, but hasn't ever had to figure out how to be skilled at anything yet. If you played sports growing up, you probably knew somebody like this, somebody who was so athletic that they really never had to learn how to play the games that they were playing. You see this a lot in basketball, guys that get to high-level college basketball or, or or girls, but guys that can jump out of the gym, run fast, and they're just bigger and stronger and faster than everybody, so they don't ever really have to learn how to play basketball. You can get by in college basketball or high school basketball just catching alley-oops, and if you're a good enough athlete, you'll always be open to shoot anyway, but eventually you get to a level where everybody else is as athletic as you are and as big as you are, and as, you know, as everything as you are, and suddenly you have to either learn really fast or there's going to be somebody right behind you who is close to as athletic as you are who's going to take your job. Anyway, uh, J.L. Skinner out of Boise State kind of looks a little bit like that as a prospect. He played wide receiver and defensive back in high school. He stepped into an immediate starting role at Boise State. He finished out his career playing more more than half of his snaps in the box for Boise State. So again, we're checking boxes there along that storyline. A big guy who's a really good athlete, who's playing defensive backs, and you're, uh, defensive back and they're sticking him close to the line of scrimmage, they're probably looking for a guy who's just going to make plays. But we run into a little bit of trouble with that narrative when you look at his coverage grade because he puts up the third highest coverage grade in the class with an 85.3 his final year in college. I'm not saying that all coverage grades are created equal, but that's a really good grade even if you're playing perhaps a simpler position, playing strong safety as opposed to somebody covering the middle of the field deep. If you want a big box safety, Skinner is that. And he makes plays commensurate with that. Passes defensed, fumbles forced, interceptions, good numbers across the board. He does all of those things. But I would move, worry about his movement and versatility. Does he really have a position yet? Because he played a lot at a lot of different spots. Most of his snaps, 56% of them came in the box. That's true. But he did line up deep as a free safety 20% of the time. And then in the slot, almost 19% of the time. He was just doing a lot for Boise State. But without his testing numbers, I think I would have concerns about projecting him in the NFL Because of probably his level of competition there and just wondering what he is as a player here. A super, super tall safety is a little bit concerning for me. He's probably not going to be a slot corner with that size, probably not an outside corner given where he's played in his career so far. Do you have him bulk up and play linebacker? I don't know. And if you don't know what he is now, Are you going to be able to figure that out in time for him to be an impact player at some point in his career? Probably not going to be a super high, highly drafted player. So you'll have some time to figure it out. And you'd think with those measurables, at least in terms of size, he could be a special teams player, but I I don't know what he is in terms of being an actual player right now. The last guy I want to look at, in-depth, and then we'll give you the best of the rest here, is Jair Brown out of Penn State. He is the 99th player overall on the Consensus Mock Draft uh, database draft, I guess, the overall charts there. 99th out of however many players they end up ranking. 5'11", 203 pounds, a 5'85", relative athletic score. Former junior college player spent 2018 and 2019 at Lackawanna Community College before moving on to Penn State. He had a coverage grade of 77 his final year at Penn State. Good, not great. Eight out of 14. Eighth out of 14, excuse me. Did have 26 and a half ball hawks. More than half his snaps came as a true free safety. Then he was in the box the next most, then in the slot the next most. I think that's probably the profile I would like from a safety prospect. Play deep most of the time. Next, spend more time in the box. And then after that, spend a little time in the slot. I think that's the order I would want You playing in as a prospect there. Feels like a bit of a broken record, but he did not test well. And that is really the defining feature of the safety class. They didn't test very well across the board. Those are the guys in the top 100. There are a few more safeties between 100 and 200. I'd like to buzz through them real quick for you here. Uh, Jartavius Martin out of Illinois is number 111 on the chart. 924 relative athletic score, third highest in the class, also had the most ball hawks in the class at 33. If you're looking for a developmental prospect, he might be it. Brandon Joseph out of Notre Dame is number 143, coverage grade of 77.1, no real defining athletic traits. I think you probably give him a miss. Daniel Scott out of California is number 156 on the chart. Crazy athlete, 991 relative athletic score, the highest in the safety group that we've looked at so far. Great athleticism, splits most of his time between deep safety and the slot. I would say he profiles as a poor man's Darnell Savage, which, to be fair, is probably just Darnell Savage at this point. Jay Ward out of LSU is number 168, an 818 relative athletic score, 25 ball hawks, the third best combo of athleticism and ball hawks in the class between, behind the two Illinois safeties. And finally, DeMarco Helms out of Alabama is number 195. He has good size at six feet tall, 205 pounds, poor athletic testing again. I wonder how different his career looks without Branch and Battle ahead of him. Does he get more time? We'll never know. And then finally, Rashad Torrance II out of Florida is number 196. I just mentioned him because I said we're going to talk about guys in the top 200. He's only got one year of experience in big-time college football. I just don't know what to make of him as a prospect. Just played one year at Florida, and that's really it. So that's the safety class. If you're hoping for a Packers safety it's slim pickings, folks. There just isn't a lot there that is going to be a fix for the Packers here. And I think with their moves through this offseason so far, they've at least made it so they don't have to have to draft a safety or early. You've got Darnell Savage, whatever you think of him, he's at least a safety who has experience in the Packers' defense and experience in the NFL. You've got Rudy Ford, who was a bright spot at points, you've got Tarverius Moore, who is similar to Rudy Ford in a lot of ways. At least you've got some options there. It's not a great list of options, but you're probably not in a position where you absolutely have to just go out and spend your first pick, whether that's 13 or 15 or 42 or 43 or whatever combination of picks the Packers end up having. You probably don't have to go out and draft a safety just immediately. There are some guys in that like 60 to 90 range who might be able to be a fit either this year or next as they get some time to grow. But I don't think there's an instant fix for the Packers here in this safety class. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the consensus mock draft is wrong. Maybe we're all wrong and we're going to end up with Rasul Douglas at safety no matter what Matt LaFleur is saying right now. It is only March, so we'll find out at some point here in the future. But that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.